took me some time to kind of bake it into the hiring into the hiring culture and, and the interview process because uh, the, what I'm what I'm looking for is number one a fit, just you know as far as the personality and you know just energy level and so on, and uh, I, I I never look at the at just the skills like I know Java or I know iOS and I know this and that framework. It's like you know hiring a plumber just because he knows pipe number five or you know wrench number seven. No, you hire someone who can think and apply that thinking towards solving problems. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, has a long entrepreneurial history himself, having started and run multiple businesses. Today, he is the founder and CEO of Admentis, where he uses the entrepreneurial operating system to bring clarity to business leaders and provide the foundation they need to successfully scale their business. We believe that some of the best sources of information and experience for growing a successful business are our entrepreneurial peers. Stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest on the show. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and influencers, really just to hear their stories, hear both their, their challenges and successes as they've grown, grown and scaled their business over the years. So today's guest actually fits real well with my background, my, my software passion of, of early days kind of a thing. I've got uh, Mark Pillar here with Backendless, a, a visual application development platform. Um, at this point, I'm gonna kind of turn this over to him, let him explain a little bit more about what that means because I know that term's probably not real familiar to most of you. So Mark, first off, welcome to the show. And then, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what Backendless is here. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. So Backendless is a system. It's a platform that enables pretty much everyone to turn an idea into a real application. And there is a lot in between, you know, from an idea to a real application. And we, our goal is to make it as simple as possible. And uh, the, the, generally the process works is that you start with, you know, user interfaces and experiences because I believe, and we believe it is just a better way to go when you create, you know, what the user experience is. And then from there, you basically provide the logic and the, the, the actual, uh, the, the, the essence of the application from where the data is stored, how the emails go out, how push notifications are sent. So uh, the system is, is built in a way where you don't need to know a programming language, it's fully visual. And then of course, you know, just from the laying out the user interfaces and just creating the, 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 the UI, it's, it's simple. There are a lot of tools that do that quite well where you can just drag and drop and create the, your pages. But adding that actual logic and, and describing in visual uh, paradigm what that application needs to do, that's the hard part. And that's where typically programmers and developers come in to materialize the ideas and the logic that you have in form of code. With our system, you do it visually, where you basically connect jigsaw puzzles that uh, represent various operations uh, and the logic is comprised of those operations. So you do it visually, putting it together, and that basically gives the life to your application that you can run on a mobile device or in a browser. And uh, uh, the entire flow of data, starting from where users enter that information on the screen, to when it ends up in the database, all of it is, most of it is done by the system for you. You essentially guide the system and tell it what needs to be done. Nice, yeah. I'm, so bringing this, actually take one step higher, because I, I know, like I said, my background in software, I understand it all, but from a, a business perspective, if I'm looking to 
create an app or create a, a new site, something like that. Is that something that I can do something with somebody basically with business expertise can come in or do I still have to have technical uh, programming or development background? We see quite a few people coming in who are, uh, who come with a business background and they just understand that if I provide value X to my customers, then I'll be able to generate some revenue. And that, and that basically creates that, that uh, the ecosystem around your idea and turns it into a business. Uh, whether you need to have someone technical who is a programmer, no, you don't need to do that. You would need to have certain skills and be able to uh, think algorithmically. So for instance, when you say, I'm gonna be entering, filling out some form and I need to capture information from that form and save it in a database. Uh, of course, with a programming language, that's one way to do it. In our system, you would still need to understand that I need to get value from a certain form field and then take the value and put it into a block that represents persistence in the database. So being able to think about any given problem algorithmically and logically is definitely a prerequisite. Uh, do you need to be a programmer to do this? No. However, uh, if you cannot break down any given problem into smaller steps and smaller uh, uh, building blocks, then you will be struggling to create an actual application. So saying that you know <clears throat> anyone who uh, just take, take any given person who has no knowledge and idea about how computers work, would they be, be able to create an application? Not instantly, uh, but it's gonna be easier to master the required skills to do it than just let's say learning a programming language. Uh, still being able to, uh, I, I guess that the, I just wanna stress out this point, being able to digest any given problem into smaller individual steps that are required, which is what algorithms are, it's gonna be probably one of the most essential skills that one would need to possess. Yeah, and a lot of times that's what we see in business anyways, is okay, how do we break down the, the challenges, the problems and stuff we face? So getting away from the, the technology side, I wanna back up and actually look at your your story, your journey from an entrepreneurial standpoint, because I know no bits and pieces of this, but I'd, I'd like to hear more of the story because at least my understanding, uh, you'd said at least the current version of Back Enlist, but still your, your original entrepreneurial kind of journey started back, you said 2003? 2003, yeah, 2000, 2003, January 1st. It's easy to remember because it was it was my New Year's resolution, okay? Okay, so and, tell me uh, a little more about that one. How, how did that right, work? So 2003, January 1st, I said, I'm gonna work a few hours every day on working something cool, okay? Well, definition of cool changes as we mature and grow and our interests shift. For me at that time, cool was just picking up an idea that I could program in, in Java, okay? And uh, back in 2003, if you can rewind back, Flash, you know, the Adobe Macromedia Flash was a new technology and we saw a lot of skip intro animations and it looked kind of, you know, this crazy new type of web is emerging. And for me, I was a kind of enterprise developer guy. And I said, well, this, this looks pretty cool that, you know, applications can be created with Flash, not necessarily silly skip intro animations. And then being a Java guy, back then I was just programming in Java. Instantly the question was, well, how can I connect Flash with Java backend? Well, Java runs on the servers, Flash runs in the browsers. There's gotta be a way where the Flash can communicate with, with Java. So that was my idea of cool. So I started working on it and I worked pretty much like every single day. It was basic. I had a full-time job, of course. So I would come home and, you know, evenings and nights and weekends, I was just working on that connectivity thing. Took me about six months to actually come up with a product and uh, that provided that connectivity. 
And uh, uh, by the time when the product was ready, I needed to release and I was like, oh, no, I need to have a website. People need to find me somehow. If I have a website, well, I need to have a company. What am I going to name it? So since, since I was working mostly just nights and weekends, it was mostly like built during the night type of product. I had no better name than calling, calling myself Midnight Coders and uh, uh, made it plural just to make myself look bigger than I was at that time. Because for me, it's just like one guy, but Midnight Coders already kind of sounds big. Uh, so I, I, I go to a competitor's website. There was one product that was a competing product, but it, it just was very deficient and it didn't have as many important things that I thought were important. So I go out there and say, and I create a persona because I didn't want to you know, show my name since uh, I, I was kind of just didn't know if I'm doing the right thing. So I created the persona, go out there, say, hey, check out this product. It looks, looks pretty cool. So traffic started building up and about maybe a month after I released, I already had my first customer, which was National Rifle Association. Oh, and, wow. uh, <laughs> and things kind of started taking off, uh, started getting orders. And then I expanded the backend from Java to .NET, then to PHP and then expanded client side. So the company started growing and uh, took me about maybe three years before I came to the idea that, okay, I, I really am stretching out thin because I'm just built that business and it's going and it's genera generating revenue and I'm still working full-time. So I have to pick something that, you know, that, that I just believe in. Uh, and if it, if it is working full-time for someone else, I need to open source this product and just let people use it. Or, and I have, and I, and I, and I have a family, a wife and a kid, and it's like, and it's pretty scary, you know, to jump the ship and just go into this entrepreneurial thing, because like, what if everyone just stops paying? Like, wow, this, so it was stressful. So, but I, anyway, I took the jump quit my full-time job and started working on Midnight Coders full-time. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a challenge, but still, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's the entrepreneurial kind of dream, entrepreneurial story of, yes, we can build an idea, we can come up with an idea, and then obviously turn it into full-time there. But yeah, I remember that, that jump myself, kind of a thing, moving out of corporate America, moving into something yourself. And it's like, okay, especially with wife and kids and around, depending on you, it's like, oh, that's, that's scary. But yeah. obviously, both of us are sitting here today saying it did work, so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It How did you end up with, with Midnight Coders basically being yourself only now to where you are today? Well, uh, <laughs> so once I quit my full-time job, of course, you know, there is a lot of work. And then it, it, you, you realize that it's not going to be just coding. Like there is documentation and examples and presentations and, you know, flying to conferences. You know, just uh, when it's just you, it's, it's a lot. So I, I, I started thinking I need to grow. I need to start hiring people. And uh, uh, since the revenue was not that great, it was enough to support myself and support family, but it was not enough to actually start hiring people, especially here in the US. So I, I looked into outsourcing and the outsourcing at that time looked great because it's like very inexpensive. You hire someone hourly and you start offloading some work. So it looks fantastic. So started outsourcing, but then quickly, fairly quickly learned that it's just not the way to go because there is very high rotation. You, know, you, you train someone and they, they're, they're helping you out and they're being productive and then they just quit because someone else offered, you know, a, a dollar more an hour and they decided to quit with, without even consulting with you. So uh, after kind of having that bad experience with outsourcing, I decided I'm just going to start hiring direct. And at that time, I had pretty good experience with developers in Ukraine, just because there is a huge pool of talent, very smart people, uh, very dedicated to, to, to work and just creating high quality product. And then uh, I kind of stuck with it and started growing our development organization in Ukraine. Uh, 
so the company was growing and um, and uh, we started picking up some consulting work because it is it is a good way to kind of you know get more revenue than the product because product requires you know longer sales cycles and so on um, and uh, we got to the point where it was a multi-million dollar business okay and then I hired a salesperson here which helped out a lot just built out fantastic pipeline and then um, what happened in this flash and well at that time Adobe already acquires Macromedia turns flash into an enterprise system to build applications it was the, now it is called flex things are going great and uh, uh, and then Steve Jobs comes out and says well flash is just not good enough to run on iPhones okay and uh, the writing was on the wall that you know things will not last forever and of course flash kind of starts well this year it's actually end of life I think by yeah. in December Adobe anyway so we was and I kind of start noticing that revenue sort of plateaued and then start declining and at that time I'm thinking okay we've got to do something because otherwise we're going to be dead and at that point we have this very solid uh, kind of Swiss army knife product that just can do a lot of different things when it comes to integration and I'm thinking okay how can we leverage the most in that product and then turn it into something bigger and the idea was you know keep it as an at the integration level because we can you know uh, process requests from different types of clients and connect it to to the back end and the idea was take what we have make it a service that runs in the cloud that provides the back end out of the box and does so many different things like you know you want to save something in the database you know, just one line of code, boom, it's in the database. You want to send out an email, one line of code, you provide a list of emails, boom, sends out. Uh, register users, login, all those things. So that's how the idea for Backendless was born. You know, just take what we had, wrap it into a reusable services, put it in the cloud, make, and, and just provide people a way to build applications without worrying about the backend. And then just for those who are not well-versed in terminology, when you think about any kind of application, you know, just open up the any any app on your phone. Most of the apps. Let's take banking apps. So what you see is the is the user experience. That's the front end. Okay, that's 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 where what you interact with. All the data, everything that you see on the screen in that banking app comes from the back end. So there is a database somewhere that requests are going into, and it checks whether you are a logged in user, and it checks what your accounts are, fetches all the data. So that back end is what the idea for Backendless was, to provide this universal backend that anyone can start using to create an application on top of without thinking that there is a server, without thinking that there is a backend. It sort of is there automatically. So that was the idea for Backendless, and we pivoted midnight coders into Backendless in 2012. In 2013, there was the first version of Backendless that was rolled out. And the rest uh, is, is history. <laughs> All history, yep. Well, I really like the the idea there because obviously today when we're recording this, still in the middle of this uh, wonderful year of 2020 in the pandemic. So you look at a lot of companies, restaurant industry is real easy kind of a thing to say, hey, yeah, we used to be completely sit down. Now we're having to do delivery. Now we're having to do takeout. But still, it doesn't necessarily have to be a worldwide pandemic. It's, it's like you said, technology changes overnight. Technology, like you said, the flash concept, the flash language there, disappearing from browser support. So, okay, we've got to make a pivot in the business at that point. So that pivot kind of thing can happen and take a lot of different forms. So I'm curious when you're looking at that, obviously there was, again, my, my background, I, I remember the, the, the announcement with Flash, but what kind of indicators, what, what were you looking at at that point to say, okay, yeah, we've got to make a change in the way we're doing things. We can't be dependent upon Flash at that point. We've got to shift into another area. The primary indicator was 
just a general interest towards uh, Ajax, JavaScript, HTML, pure browser type of implementations and creating user experiences with technologies not tied to any particular plugin. Just something that is available across all browsers uh, with just the standards that are being published by W3C or some de facto standards that that, uh, that become available out there. So with, with Flash, it's a, it's a pretty hardcore dependency on the plugin from a, from a company. So it's a proprietary technology. Uh, it sort of became the standard because it was ubiquitous, okay? But it is not a standard that everyone signs up to. And now as we know, because old browsers eliminated, that's, that's what happens. So for me, the primary indicator was just kind of seeing where the, the, the wind blows as far as just the general interest from the software development community towards creating this user experiences, creating uh, the, the, the technologies that they use to create applications with. And then just seeing that Flash just doesn't run an iPhone and uh, some a lot of people talk about just dropping it or just restricting it as a plugin, you know, Chrome, Google Chrome was they fairly early. They said it's just by default, it's gonna be disabled. You have to enable it explicitly. So those are the kind of indicators that you look for when you decide that you cannot put all the eggs in the basket, especially if it is the only basket. Yeah, and I, I do see that one specifically, but yeah, pulling this up to a higher level, basically you're saying, yeah, we're looking at, at technology drivers, obviously industry drivers, so things changing in the industry, but at the same time, you're looking at, at customer drivers as well to say, okay, our customers are looking, they're shifting towards the HTML, the Ajax, things like that, other areas rather than flex. So exactly. if we're going to, continue to support them, we've obviously got to make that pivot as well. So keeping right. that, that basically staying in tune with your customer base there as well, kind of a thing sure. there is what I'm, what I'm hearing at least. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. And another factor is when you build a product uh, or a service, you, you want it to be a product of a scale, uh, especially if you have, if your ambitions are high enough to create next hundred million dollar company or a billion dollar company. So what we had at that point was a product that People would have to download, install on their computers, integrate into their applications. So it's uh, uh, as we had pretty good business. It was it was great. The revenues were something that I was very happy with, at least where I was at uh, at that point of my life, and just kind of professional development. However, when you think about the scale that you can reach when you provide a service on the web. And the entire world can access it instantly without downloading anything. And then anyone can start building an application on top of your platform just by registering with the website and just seeing there's this fantastic uh, free plan that gives you everything you need to start building this application. It is way, way, way more attractive. Uh, and I'm not trying to, and even trying to be as unbiased as I can, it is a very attractive proposition that you can actually start building something by having only a browser. Yeah. No, I remember the days where it's like, okay, it's not just the software. You got to have the, the hosting center, the data center, all the servers, all the hardware. You got to know all the networking, the multiple internet connections. Way, way too complicated these days, especially for, like I said, for having just a, a non-technical business that says, hey, I want to get basic workflow application or basic something put together. And yeah, it's it's cloud changed a, a, a lot for, for so many people kind of thing, even though you didn't necessarily realize it or don't necessarily realize what it really means behind the scenes. So very, very true there. 
So I actually want to go back to one thing you were talking about earlier with the, the outsourcing. So one of the things we're always looking at is saying, okay, defining who you are as a company, defining your culture, defining your, your core values there and utilizing that not just as a, a bulletin board material or as a, a, a mission statement kind of a thing, but actually using it on the people side when you're dealing with people. So tell me a little bit of the difference. I, I know we touched a little bit on it already, but the difference between doing that outsource, like you were saying, versus doing the, the internal people, hiring directly internal and what's your, obviously we talked about the, the turnover and everything in the, in the, the contract kind of people, but what's the, what do you see as the difference with having that internal uh, hire right there? Obviously, hopefully more than just looking for a paycheck, but what, what do you see as that differentiation there? Absolutely. So the, my observation with outsourcing is that people see it as something that they come to work, they do this, they do whatever they're asked to, and, and they just leave whenever, you know, it's end of the day. So a couple of problems there. Number one, software, I believe software is art, okay? It's, it's a specialized type of art where any particular problem can be solved in different ways. It can be solved just kind of in a small, straightforward way, you know, whatever the idea comes to you, put this algorithm in, in, and you create that code. It could be done elegantly and eloquently in, uh, in a way where it would be easy to read, easy to understand and easy to scale, but that requires extra thought and care, okay? So the thing that I, that I, that I was lacking with outsourcing is that care to create something you're actually proud of was not there. The way it was solved uh, a, a sort of implicitly is by when we start building our own organization, of course, you hire people that are like-minded individuals, okay? People who care about creating something beautiful and something they believe in. Because for me, it's like number one factors to recognize that we're gonna be getting a person, we're gonna be bringing someone on board who will be a believer, okay? Because it's not like we run a company as a cult, but it is a product and we want to beat competition and we want to create something better and we want to make sure that customers choose us because they saw value because we created something beautiful. And that's what one of the factors that unites people in, in my company that we believe that what we create is meaningful and beautiful. And of course, by having these two, it's better than what our competition does. And these are the, 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 the qualities and values that is very hard to come by without sourcing, okay? So by, by making that move to hire our own people, we got to the point where we started building a culture that is self, sort of self-propelling, okay? Just because we, we care about what we do and we care about the kind of product that we put out there, it actually helps us to make this product better, not only because we have better coders, but because they really care about what they're producing. So when you take that then and apply it to your hiring process, when you're looking at bringing somebody else on, obviously, typically the traditional resume sits there and says, from a coder standpoint, I know language X, Y, and Z kind of a thing. I've worked at these five companies. What does that mean to you from a hiring perspective? When I look at someone's resume, uh, the, the checklist that I have that, that could be there, like 15 different items of all kinds of frameworks and libraries and languages, I just skip it. Okay, To me, it is irrelevant. Okay, it is something that you can take a smart individual, a smart engineer who knows nothing about any of the frameworks, but you just recognize that they have this wit. You can teach them. 
okay? And you just give them enough incentive to learn it quickly and you challenge them and they will learn it, okay? So for me, it is, I wouldn't say irrelevant, it is just not important, okay? What I'm looking for is someone who will fit culturally or someone who is driven by an idea, someone who cares about the kind of quality that they produce where, you know, they, and, and it's very easy to solve, you know, because, you know, in the interview, in the interview process, we'll just say, okay, here's an algorithm. How, how would you go about solving it? Just give us the pseudo code, you know, which is basically not necessarily in syntax of the language, but okay, I do this and I take that element and I sort it here, whatever. So you can see, you know, whether, how, how they go about thinking about the problem. And, you know, when someone is standing in front of the whiteboard during the interview process and we give them a problem, we ask them to speak out loud so we can hear how they think. I don't really care whether they will arrive to a solution. I care about, you know, what their thought process is, which is very telling. And, uh, and, and that's been kind of the general uh, direction of op approach to bringing people on board is finding ones who can think critically. Like for instance, when we bring uh, uh, someone for a QA interview, okay, just uh, quality assurance. A lot of people, you know, I've been to many interviews and, uh, and they kind of, I know how it goes around there, but we just, I, I hate questions like, you know, what kind of, you know, testing techniques do you know? What? I don't care, you know? We tell them like, here's, here's the product we produce, a pen, okay? Just brainstorm, give me as many possible test cases, positive or negative, that you can come up with if this is the product that we create, okay? One guy come, comes to our interview, it was mind, mind boggling, and he just like starts bombarding all kinds of things. And of course, at that point, I don't care, you know, if he's done any QA in the past. I know we give him our product and he will just, you know, rip it apart inside out. He, every, no stone will be remain unturned if he can come up with so many different scenarios for a pen. Yeah, and it's, it's really that culture, that, that mentality that you're looking for. So you're looking for, in the case of software, you're looking for, okay, can they think outside the box? Can they, can they adjust that way? Like you said, not just skills, not stuff that you can teach them that, hey, they, they know tool X. Well, I can teach them tool Y. It's a different syntax, it's a different whatever. But that ability to think that, okay, if they're just, if all they can do is push buttons on tool X, then yeah, I can teach them to push buttons on tool Y, but they can't think outside the box. So it's it's really applying that that culture and that fit. So that's, that's to me, that's, that's one of the keys there that we look at. And really it, it applies well beyond just coding kind of a thing. Coding is obviously what we're talking about, but still well beyond that. So um, in the last couple of minutes here, putting on kind of your, your rose colored glasses, we were talking about, okay, hopefully we're gonna flip the, the, the page here to 2021, it's gonna look different. What's, what's the future look like for Back Endless? What are you, what are you looking for there? It, it looks rather bright. I'm very excited for the future, which is kind of weird. Well, everyone is excited about the future this year, but they're sort of like hoping things will get better, okay? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, with, with everything that we had experienced in 2020, uh, not only I'm hoping, I know things are going to be super bright for backenders because with, with what we have done, with the technology that we have and seeing already, seeing the kind of things people do with it uh, and just talking to those people and learning about their backgrounds and then knowing that they're not software developers, but they see value in backenders and they start creating applications. I know that, we tapped into the market that is huge, okay? Where uh, we, we, we know we already deliver value for those who, who could not even imagine building an app and now they have something and they have an app and they're publishing in the front of their customers. So it's, it's gonna be fantastic. And we're not stopping what we have, you know? Of course, 
a release happens every week. You know, every yeah. month there is a new code drop, which is fantastic. So uh, I'm just I'm very genuinely very excited about the possibilities that are going to happen. And and I'm not even talking about just business and revenue. Of course, it is important for me knowing that we deliver value, that we deliver something that people want and they enjoy to use. That's the number one thing for me. It's just gonna that get this pure satisfaction knowing that you created something that is useful. Yeah, that uh, makes perfect sense. Yeah, so hopefully 2021 looks a lot better here. It yeah. part, of, part of me kind of says it can't look much worse, but yeah, there's there's always, it could always do something, but yeah, no, it's, it's good that looking up and especially yeah, with technology, always gotta be innovating there, so. Yep. Really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the insight. Love the of the journey. Love the story there. So hopefully everybody has gotten a little bit out of that one. And then again, just if people are more interested in setting up their own apps or whatever, where can they find some more information or where can they contact you with it? Backendless.com. So just go to backendless.com. You'll see the register button at the top. Uh, there is Once you start, there is actually a training program baked into the product. The training program gives you awards and badges and you can earn back endless bucks that you can turn into buying t-shirts and caps. It's all right in there. And by doing so, you can actually learn how to use the platform. Yeah, I've been over to the website. I've seen actually seen some of the videos up there. So it's, it's good stuff up there. So all good. All right. Well, thank you again for, for time here. And then really just appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day. Fantastic. Thank you for, for having me, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes. And make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on the social networks. To learn more about what we are doing and how it might benefit your business, check us out at admentis.com. Thanks again for listening.